Susan Felth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting. Modern man is confronted with so many movies. Which ones are films? And which ones are filth? Number 97. It's the talkie that's a singy. It's singing in the rain. Kind of a dancey, too. Mm. I feel like. What, what, what's singy, dancey, triple what, thready. What's more important with this movie, the singy or the dancey? Or do they like coexist like equally? <laughs> I One think of the comedy the is the most important thing <laughs> in this movie. Okay. Uh, well, it's Spawnville. It's all of it. You get it all yeah. with this movie. Quick and you introdu- get satire. Quick introductions. This is a Matt. This is a Luke. This is a Mark. It's Films and Filth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting, where we look at films, we look at filth, we decide what's filmy, what's filthy, what's singy, what's dancey. Joining us, coming back, it's from the Mission Log, the Orville podcast. Hi, Mike Richards. Hey, Matt. How are you, sir? Pretty groovy. You said this is my first time watching this movie, by the way. Am I alone on that? I bet Luke is. Uh, no, time. I just finished watching this for the first time in my life 20 minutes ago. Okay. It Mark. was my first time, although I thought I had seen it before, but watching it, I was like, oh, no, I have not seen this. That's why we do this podcast, because none of us thought about watching this. But, Mike, you said you have. You've watched it. You've lived with this movie. This is one of my dad's favorites, one of my parents' favorites, I would say. So I probably saw this movie, oh, maybe every other year uh, throughout my childhood. And then... Uh, I watched it about six months ago because it was on the airplane for free. And I watched it then, and then I watched it again tonight. So I just adore so much about this film. And it's uh, there's some pacing issues, and I think there are parts where it drags a little bit. But the physical comedy and just, just the that, that 25 year, which was the look back from when the film was made to the you know 1927 um jazz singer era of hollywood was just i I think it's just so much fun yeah it is interesting this is a little tangent but you know it seems like most of early hollywood's um benchmarks are at least slightly problematic (laughs) (laughs) jazz singer birth of a nation i've seen them all i'm a film dork but yeah it's kind of like interesting like I mean, I get it from the vaudeville thing, and, and that doesn't factor into this movie too much. Uh, this one has some other... They do bring up the jazz singer, but that's the extent of it. Yeah, most of the issues here are more like behind the scenes, which we'll get into a little later. But <laughs> um... I, I mean, I personally loved it. I found it totally obsession-worthy. I probably will watch this again regularly, even. <laughs> I really liked it. I yeah. was surprised... Um, the humor held up. Like, I was genuinely laughed out loud at this film a couple of times, and often when you go back too far with a comedy, that's not the case. I, th- I, I think it I think... gets... Sorry, I... I think it was the physical comedy. The physical comedy mm-hmm. held up really, really well. The Donald O'Connor stuff, and just the chemistry between Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor, even though they're, you know, I mean, gosh, they were 12, 13 years apart in age. They, they mm-hmm. I started bought that they were you know besties going back to their early childhood they they had just a great on stage chemistry together it really even 
there's some lines and stuff which got a chuckle out of me, not just it wasn't only the physical comedy. There are a couple of good one liners in that too. It 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 to me really captured the dynamic of working with people. Like the mm. all of the the chemistry kind of reminded me of, you know, when you you're in a workplace and you're dealing with things like the boss is kind of checked out a little bit and everybody's kind of hopeful and then kind of screw ups and that all the lying about flashbacks at the beginning was just um yeah it i i love like good um like ensemble chemistry where it feels like nobody is needlessly cruel except for the one dumbest character which works in its own way so you know i made i made a slightly slight mistake this is this is again not besmirching the film at all but i actually went in and did a bunch of like behind the scenes research before watching it um so our, our guest who's two weeks in the future but we already did the podcast for vertigo she and i used to watch like busby berkeley musicals and would like you know sit there joking about how when the camera when the take was finished busby would go and like scream at a girl and because she was like her arm was like slightly in the wrong place or something we don't even know if that's true for busby berkeley it seems that pretty much was true for Gene Kelly on this movie. He was a bit of a monster. Oh. <laughs> well, oh no, like a perfectionist monster, right? Like he knew what he wanted. Like a Kubrick. It it makes sense because there's a lot of things in this movie that seem weirdly perfect. Yeah, if that makes like, sense. Like when he realized he was screaming at Debbie Reynolds, a 19 year old actor, too much. He he he, kind of put more of his screaming at Donald O'Connor, who was only, what, 12 or 13 y younger than him. So it's funny that they're such great friends on screen because uh, Donald O'Connor was like, yeah, I basically had like one nice interaction with him on set. <laughs> it was like uh, he was like the whipping boy for Gene Kelly on this movie. So no, no. Oh, that makes me sad. Both, yeah. both, both of them later said, I mean, um, Debbie Reynolds, very class act, you know, the, the, the real Queen Amidala, of course. And Donald Connor, they did have nothing but good things to say about the final pro project. And Demi Reynolds was like, I learned so much, even though it's difficult, I learned so much, it's too bad I didn't work with them again. So, I mean, they understood the artistry of the film and all that, but they did not have a good time. And I, I might have a few more stories about that as we go on, because I, I did all that research. And <laughs> That's kind of a bummer, because it actually made me believe that things were... <laughs> from nicer and more pleasant back then or not necessarily back then but 1912 whatever uh telescoping reality we're dealing with in the, <laughs> the past but it, it's like you know i've worked in the film industry and it's difficult and i kind of don't like doing it and this made me feel like oh man everybody looks like they're having such a great time and oh well I, I got a few more stories, but I'll, I'll save them for later. So, Actually, yeah, maybe I should have this, done my research after the film, but oops. <laughs> this is our first film about filmmaking, right? I, I feel like we're so. probably going to have quite a few of those on this we, list. Yeah, we got Sunset yeah. Boulevard as a nice mirror image of this coming before too long. Okay, there we go. Never seen yeah, that. Yeah, this film, uh, Mark for the most part, the, uh... makes it look like a romp. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, it totally does. It looked like they had a ball making it. Um, you know, Mark, you mentioned that that sort of workplace humor with the boss that checked out um, during the Moses supposes his toeses or roses uh, number. I was brought back to a scenario where I was working with a, a friend of mine and we both went on this sort of simultaneous 
monologue about uh, a boss and and how they act, just like a caricature of their like typical uh, interaction with us. And it went on for minutes um, until we both just kind of wrapped it up at the same way at the same second with his signature tagline. And I was just cracking up at this because it reminded me just of that chemistry that you have when you work closely with somebody. You don't even have to, you don't even have to, you know, coordinate your actions. Just you just know what the other hand is doing. Yeah, they're doing bits. <laughs> it comes naturally. Um, let me quickly put the bits all together and do a summary for this movie, uh, which is so- somewhere between, I don't know what Luke likes and what Mark likes. So it's somewhere Bloody between. Here we go. Summarize. <laughs> it's 1927. Hollywood's power couple, Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont, are on the top of the world with the opulent premiere of their new film, The Royal Rascal. But all is not as it seems. Aside from Don's tall tales about his rise to fame, Don and Lena actually hate each other and simply pose for the press. But Don finds love after meeting chorus girl Kathy Selden. Sure, they argue at first, but after a cake in Lena's face, it all changes the course of things. More pressing is that the film industry is moving to sound, and Don and Lena's next film, The Dueling Cavalier, will be a talkie. There are lots of road bumps, including sound recording setups, diction lessons, and the major problem that both Lena's speaking and singing voices are quite shrill. The production also has to hide Don and Kathy's relationship from Lena so that she doesn't go full cray-cray on them. The first pass of the film is a disaster, but Don and his musical director slash wingman Cosmo Brown decide to turn the film into a musical. They literally dream up a Broadway melody and secretly slip Kathy in to dub Lena's voice. This turns the film into a massive success with Lena shining in the spotlight. But Don and Cosmos literally pull the curtain on Lena's career and reveal to the world that Kathy is the voice that everyone loves. Kathy becomes Don's new leading lady in every sense of the word. Kind of a dick move, though. <laughs> um, I like that you called him Cosmos that last time. Oh, did I? That's cool. Co- yeah. Cosmos. I, Cosmos. Like the Cos- I like both versions of Cosmos. My name is Cosmos. I'm the music <laughs> director. I think there's three versions of Cosmos now, but I haven't seen the most recent one. Um, <laughs> uh, I've seen some of it. Pretty good. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, you're uh, thinking about the documentary. I'm thinking about the, the psychic dog. Oh, that's cool, too. I, I like that's the Cosmo, psychic dog. Yeah. Well, that's what I should have said, apparently. Um, <laughs> the psychic uh, dog is also the music director in this film. They're the same oh, person. Cool, 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 cool. Opening question about actors. This one directed towards Luke. Um, you and Gene Kelly in a steel cage. How's I'm sure it's a Luke after all that information you said. What? Steel cage match I, against oh. Gene Kelly. Um, I don't know. He's pretty fit. I know. <laughs> I was like, that guy is ripped. I mean, he's, you know, tap around. He could squat me. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just know you like talking about which animals you could take in a steel cage. And I know, and I mean, Gene Kelly's not that much. I mean, are we animal. talking Gene Kelly then or Gene Kelly now? Because he's either elderly or dead. So. He's dead. I'm very <laughs> dead. Then I would win. Okay. No contest. (laughs) Um, So I I guess this is pretty much full leading man energy, though. I mean, he's the director. He he may have been bullying people on set, but he had had a vision and it comes through. 
Is is that where we're sitting? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. like Mark was saying about how incredibly perfect this film seems. Like when you're seeing those dance routines, like it's bonkers. Like the the number of st- and like it's meant to look like they're improvising, but it's it's incredibly meticulous. And the ca- the different actors in and out and in and out and bouncing around each other. And there's items in the set, and it's synced to the song. Like you know. Perfect. Sometimes a director can be an awful person, but it does make a damn fine movie. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely yeah, what happened here. And, and I'm not. I, it seems it was. It's not even so much he was an awful person. He was just like an insane taskmaster. I mean, he might have been. Awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you, can, you know, my favorite I've, directors are like that, right? So, I've seen a lot of different takes on whether yelling at people you're working with is is makes you bad or not. And <laughs> I think. Well, that yeah, I guess that's the difference. So. You often yeah. hear about James Cameron being a perfectionist, but I don't hear stories of James Cameron like reaming people out necessarily. I mean, so some you can say be that's an, why a taskmaster uh... and a perfectionist without being a screamer. Well, um... I mean, some say that's why the PCP ended up in the Chowder and Titanic. Okay, I, I guess mm. I'm just going to have to spit out a few of the uh, the the things, the behind the scenes stuff I've read. Um, with with. Um... <laughs> Oh God! Why I already said her name four times in this, and I've all Debbie like, Reynolds. Yes, thank you. I could think of it as Dorothy Lamont. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Debbie Reynolds. Uh, she had done a few films by this time. This is not her first film, but it kind of makes. I mean, the Hollywood narrative is, oh, this is the the the, the new fresh face girl, but she'd already done a few films. But uh, she, mm-hmm. her dancing was good, but not great. So that the learning curve was one of the reasons, um, you know that happened but yeah she was off the set for a week due to exhaustion from this uh was regularly crying off on side and and eventually had to be consoled by like fred astaire um <laughs> so I mean, hey if you're trying to dance and and you know and fred astaire is like ah it's fine you know i i, I guess that's that's a that's a nice pick me up but uh needed that um donald o'connor he good morning is is i guess Again, he turned out to be kind of the punching bag scapegoat once Gene Kelly was like, I can't keep screaming at a girl. Um, <laughs> uh, apparently, Good Morning, they they filmed it. And he, he was like an 87 pack a day smoker, as I guess most men were in the early 50s. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, after Good Morning, you know, he he went into the hospital for three days, came back and like, oh, crap, the, the there was a camera malfunction. We have to do it all again. So... <laughs> Which he did. Oh like, okay, God. I'll do it. And, you know, it was like, yeah, my feet were so bruised after that. So, <laughs> you know, dancing, I'm not a dancer, but I, I guess Black Swan gets into like how much devastating damage a professional dancer does to their body. <laughs> yeah, yes. I have a, I have one junior high school student who's um, working to be a ballet dancer. And she's like serious about it, but it's, it's like eight hour training every day. She's not at school, basically. And it, it consumes her life. But I mean, she's like traveling to like Prague and stuff to like watch ballets or take part in ballets. Like she is, I think, on the road to being pretty legit. But it, it, it can't be a hobby. It has to be an obsession. And I um, know who you're talking about. I had that student five years ago and she, I don't think she's right. going to Prague, but same thing. Right. Just like mm-hmm. it was ba- all ballet all the time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a friend who was a uh, gymnast, like Olympic gymnast, and I met a bunch mm-hmm. of her other co-gymnasts team teammates and it was I definitely like co-gymnasts like, let's go co-gymnasts yes <laughs> they gym gymmed together um no they they were all 
really sweet, but also just kind of shell shocked. Like you could kind of see it that they were just so, uh, I don't know if overworked is the right word, but something like that. Traumatized. And when I look at the, the the dancing style in this in this film, like it's very kind of low to the ground, like almost doing kind of like a deep squat or or like a like a leg bend, you know, uh, a lot of the time or like a wall squat. They were just down and they were low and they were moving. And I can't imagine how many takes it took, you know, when when Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly were dancing together. And then you throw in that other variable of having a third person who is, you know, very, very young. And, and like you said, Matt, uh, her dancing was good, but not did a lot of coaching. I mean, the number of takes that it must have taken to, to pull off Good Morning at that point uh, and make it look so natural and so fun and so spontaneous. I mean, just must have been absolutely just brutal, exhausting work. And then to have to do it again? My God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why... Um... That's why she does not appear in the Broadway melody in part because she was not that level of a dancer. Also, I think by that time that was done. That actually was done later. Uh, that was like the last segment made, and she had already moved on to her her next job as well. So between those two, it's like let's get a was it Sid? I don't know how to say her last name, but uh, yeah, there's uh, a Sid, space... Sid Charisse. Yes, interesting thank you. factoid. Yeah, um, the aunt, the aunt of Nana visit, Nana visitor from uh, Star Trek: oh, cool. Steve Space Nine. Yeah. Cool. Oh, okay. Lots of sci-fi connections with Singing in the Rain, <laughs> and some which we haven't gotten to yet. So we'll we'll get there later. Um, should we talk about W. Reynolds a bit since we're already on that topic? Then, uh, I I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, in twenty twenty thirteen, in twenty twenty thirteen, what twenty twenty three, whatever this year 2020, is, twenty twenty thirteen. That's like twenty twenty thirteen. Two hundred thousand years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't know when people are going to listen to this, though. It might be twenty twenty thirteen. This podcast will be the Bible by then. Like what we say <laughs> yeah. is like is like dogma. We're the only Matthew, Mark, and Luke they know. <laughs> Oh, I hope um, we uh, I hope we outlast the 300 million other podcasts for to <laughs> achieve that. But go ahead. It's hard. I don't know. It's hard not to sit there and just sit there thinking how much Princess Leia you're, you're watching, you know? <laughs> I actually didn't realize that's I, I looked her up halfway through watching it. I was like, huh, that name sounds familiar. Oh, OK. I had to put it together myself. Right. And as she, I mean, as far as stars go, she seemed a little more class than a lot of them like through her life you know that's her uh yeah that was definitely her her uh character here or it's like her character here is the classy one basically yeah yeah unless you consider overdubbing to be not classy um oh okay here's the time to throw in this little fact this this is something i learned when she is overdubbing lena's lines um that is actually the actress who plays lena overdubbing debbie reynolds lines so you're actually hearing mm. her real voice because her actual speaking voice was not high and shrill but it was a little more deep and sonorous so she's she's dubbing herself yeah the, you uh, can't that i when i read that, that 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 made sense to me because you can't do that lena voice unless you're already a, a talented like voice person or friend mm. gesture Gener generally i mean it was I think so Fran good Richard's and the way she would and she would swing back and forth from Kant to Standum. 
and just sort of like mix the rounded words to the unrounded words. <laughs> it was uh, very well done. I did not know that there was there was an overdub down there. That's uh, that's just uh, makes me even more impressed. That's kind of the theme of this film is everything seems so like, oh, yeah, they just did that. But then if you actually look, it's like, oh, no, no, they meticulously worked really hard to make that feasible. And that's like a, every every little detail was like that. Just the scenes where where the scene where he's kind of like putting the moves on her and they're in the studio when it's closed and he's like turning on the sunset and everything like that. Like mm. even that is like um brilliant. That's the kind of room that would totally creep me out, by the way. You know? Oh yeah? Yeah, oh, like I'd have having, that. Having the full I'd wall being a sky with no like visible horizon line. Um I think that goes back to my not wanting to be stuck in it's a small world with everything on and no one else there uh, here. Um, I, what if it was like that, but then it was just creepy music the whole time? Yeah, that'd be worse, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what if what it was if like thing uh, you said you were scared of, but scarier? <laughs> Would it just yeah, be Apex like a, Twin ambient works? I was actually thinking a minor key. Uh, it's a small world should do the case. Yeah, that that'd work. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's a scary what's a scary disney like the the black cauldron soundtrack or something i i'll tell you next week because i'm actually doing that podcast next week but <laughs> haven't watched it yet <laughs> i haven't watched it in about 35 years yeah okay, i think so, i've watched it since i was about 10 so yeah but yeah watching it i i i mean this is the first time for three out of four of us but i kind of felt like not counting singing and dancing of course but uh as far mm -hmm. as just like characters and acting presence i felt like uh, Gene Hagen as Lena kind of was the MVP here. Oh yeah, she was. Oh yeah, fantastic. This is this whole thing. It felt like a Marx Brothers movie that was sort of like supercharged, mm. if that makes sense. Because it's like when you're watching a Marx Brothers movie, usually the uh, the musical numbers are, fall kind of flat. But mm. this is like it's they're taking like that baton and kind of running with it, and also the dancing is at least fun to watch in like a clockwork mechanical kind of way even if even if you're the kind of person who's bored by dance numbers which i'm not but a lot of people just, would be just sticking a rider in there that i really like down with groucho's uh music numbers but otherwise yes yeah <laughs> no i'm usually a big fan of a, a musical but uh they can be very hit and miss yeah same i'm afraid to watch hamilton i'm afraid i'm not gonna like it yeah when, when i think of a marx brothers film <laughs> oh, you, you'll like it. Uh, but when I when I think of a Marx Brothers film, it's kind of like very vaudevillian, just put on, put in front of a camera, right? And this sort of takes that into the 1952 very, you know. Yep, looks like we had a little break up there. Oh, that's Mike that's called yeah. hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh. you know, modern film, like you said, with a with a meticulous oh. vision. Does anybody know was uh, sorry, uh, does anybody know if this was intentionally filmed as a 25th anniversary uh, for the first talking feature, or was that just... Oh. I wouldn't you be surprised, because studios were big into celebrating studio-ness at that time, but I don't know. I'm sitting here being the... the um, okay, here we go. This is a reading from Wiki. Arthur Freed, the head of the Freed unit at MGM, responsible for the studio's glossy and glamorous musicals, conceived the idea of a movie based on the back catalog of songs written by himself, Ignacio or Herb Brown, and blah, blah, blah. So 
it seems more like they were just like realizing it's been 25 years and we have all these songs that like we own that are good and haven't put them in a musical yet. Uh, yeah. Singing in the Rain, ironically, having already been in like three or four movies. But uh, yeah, it that was makes sense because at the end it was like, hey, do this number, Singing in the Rain. And like it was halfway through the end number that I realized that that song wasn't in the movie. It was in the it wasn't in the movie within the movie. It was in the movie mm. we watched. So yeah. It was like that was like, oh, it must have been a standard at that point. Yeah, whereas now when I think of that song, the song is just from oh, this movie. Large. Oh, I would I would really like to remove the Clockwork Orange connection. That's part of why I was looking forward <laughs> to watch this, watching this. And I think it did a good job because yeah. I really don't like that connection. <laughs> That's still the first image that comes to my mind, unfortunately. I mean, it, so. yeah, probably mine too. But <laughs> maybe I'll watch this a few more times and then they'll uh, smooth it out a little. When the movie started, I was surprised how fast they were doing the song. Like, I actually thought my... Because I, I watched this one in the proper playback speed and everything. And at first, I was like, oh, crap, is it set to faster? I was like, no, they're just really, really rocking through that first version there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, though, this movie doesn't... This movie just gets down to it. I mean, there if there's any, like... Most of the pacing issues would be, like, within the dance numbers themselves, but... As yeah, I can imagine the, uh... someone who doesn't like watching a song and dance routine would find them extremely tedious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tight. It's about an hour and 45 minutes long. And again, the only part that I found, you know, dragged even a little bit was, you know, that last scene where Gene Kelly's like, there's one more number we got to record. And it was like 10 songs that all kind of came back to Gotta Dance, uh, which was fun. I really think they stuck the landing at the end. But about after the fourth costume change, I was like, this is extensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was very long for something that had nothing to do with the plot of the film and and was I I didn't mind it. It was cool. There was a lot of cool like sets and everything. But I was definitely sort of like, well, this is the thing. This is I was pretty down with that one because it's kind of trippy. And two, uh, getting back to that Buzzley Berkeley, uh, I usually would not watch Buzzley Berkeley movies. I put on the Buzzley Berkeley disc, which is only the big giant dance numbers one after another. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of how I remembered what I thought this movie was, was just sort of a straight down the middle, like musical, musical. And mm. when when the screwball comedy started, I was like, oh, no, I've definitely not seen this before. Yeah, because it is more of a comedy with musical numbers in it than a musical with comedy bits in it. When I it came but out, the it was... very the very opening I thought was playing it like fairly dry with just the scenes with about all that water. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, Oh God, I'm going to have <laughs> just, to learn all these people. And then it yeah, they're just the famous people showing up and being introduced. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be the first film we watch on this podcast where it's like, no, this has aged too much for me to enjoy it. <laughs> but actually once they started throwing in the gags, I was like, Oh no, this is genuinely quite funny. And that's what kept me watching really. Yeah, I guess yeah. screwball comedy generally has like aged the best. Um, oh yeah, like I could watch a, a Chaplin or a Keaton like slapstick comedy anytime. Yeah, it's like yeah. we still celebrate that. Nobody's done. A, nobody's supplanted that with a better thing. You know, like you could argue that you could argue that musicals have kept evolving, but um, screwball comedy was perfected 
1923 um, or something. I've actually been hardcoring Keaton movies because I'm doing the Twilight Zone with him next week. And I'm also listening to a podcast where they're doing the Keaton movies at the moment. So I've been watching all of the 20s ones. I'm I'm just finished Go West. I think I have four more to go. Um, Mm. But I put on a clip for the for the kids at snack time just out of curiosity i put on the sherlock jr sequence where he uh, astral projects himself into the movie um and at first they were like what are you doing this is old crap but they were like laughing their heads off within a minute or two so you know that still stuck the landing (laughs) yeah i'm always pleasantly surprised how much kids still love tom and jerry so yeah Yes, and and I I joke with my wife and son all the time. They love slapstick, absolutely love it. My wife could watch two straight hours of somebody slipping on a banana peel. I love that that was the exact (laughs) reference that Donald O'Connor used in Make Him Laugh. He was like, you know, do Shakespeare if you want. Get a banana peel. That's going to be the crowd pleaser. I mean, Shakespeare would have gotten a banana peel. I mean, a lot of that stuff was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Yeah, I think Shakespeare is widely misunderstood, just like I misunderstood this movie until I watched it. Mm. Yeah, again, I I just have a blind spot for musicals. Um, like, basically, in the past, it was like when girlfriends would make me watch one, right? So I've seen Sound of Music in Oklahoma and stuff, but n- none of them showed me this, and, and that was their mistake, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, the thing is, Sound of Music to me was like a huge comfort watch when I was a kid before I knew what Nazis were. You know, it was like a really, I, I, I feel like uh, better those, time. Yeah. I feel like those, um, yeah, it's a Max von Sydow ripping out, ripping up some flag. Who cares? Um, <laughs> Hey, they're running for some reason. I don't know. Oh, running, running. want to run. Sorry, um, you, no, you just set me up for that. I have to throw us in. I, I did a tour of Austria when I was a teenager and they were showing us all the scene, all the shooting shots from the sound of music. And when they're running a, across the border switzerland at the end that's the german border oh no they're <laughs> running back into germany yes stop no you're doing uh, where they shot well, it they're running into germany we'll, we'll uh we'll scream at them more in a, a few whatever years i guess so, the, sorry, i'm guys. doing a tour of the shooting scenes could have <laughs> ended much worse so i'm happy with that <laughs> sorry mark i, I don't think there were shootings. I, had, I had to throw that in no but that that into fiddler on the roof again I was like, why is the village on fire at the end? I don't know. It's really sad, but I don't know why. I don't know what's happening or why. But both of those movies were just huge, like, comfort food watches when I was a kid. So I we, were, we were moving through the actors. Uh, we do need a shout out Donald O'Connor before we finish doing that. So is he cinema's perfect wingman or something? Is that is God, that he's amazing thing? in this. <laughs> he's like... Like if this it does movie seem were, like the perfect pal, yeah. Yeah, if this yeah. movie were made like 20, 30 years later, I just wanted to add a scene in where um where, where Don and Kathy are having their honeymoon night, right? And then and then Don O'Connor just kind of pops up from back behind the bed. Hey guys, you get Don all right now. <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> but uh You know, yeah. speaking about making this movie later though, um, have any of you seen Babylon with uh, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie? That's this is out right now, right? Yeah, it's on my need to watch okay. list. But it, it is out. It is yet. out right now. It is. It is a. It is a modern, very gritting, gritty retelling of Singing in the Rain, and that's really? the that's my one line synopsis for it. What did you think? You know, what was it about? It was a gritty retelling of Singing in the Rain. 
Um, and I usually get, so it's a musical. And I'm like, no, it is not a musical. It is a very gritty retelling of uh, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, silent movie film stars, trying to make the, trying to make the, uh, the move to talkies. It is this story told through a, you know, kind of very modern, very uh, hardcore look at, and I, I imagine with some liberties taken of just how hedonistic Hollywood was in the twenties. Uh, um, but I found it to be fascinating. The movie was not generally considered a success. I think it, I think it was a money loser for the studio. I thought it was brilliant. No, that's one of those um, movies where the bad reviews kind of make me more interested to watch it because they're like, it's so I, weird and off-putting. I'm like, gee, I think I want to see that. <laughs> Here's a uh, possibly a parallel. Uh, same director who did uh, La La Land. Yeah. <laughs> and and Whiplash, which was a, which actually Whiplash is a film I am afraid to watch. because You're going to have to. It's on the list. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, afraid to watch it because of my history with uh, music instruction, how it made me not want to take music lessons anymore. Well, um, our, our mutual friend Scott told me to watch it. So his family watched it, and he just out, out of nowhere was like, you need to watch S Sessions, because that's the Japanese title, and he didn't know what the, I had to oh. do research to figure out what it was actually called. <laughs> I kind of like that title better. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But, I mean, I just yeah, want to see mean, it because it's got J.K. Simmons, and I think... Yeah, Incredible. I love J.K. Simmons. If I can watch him as a Nazi in prison, then I can watch him as a yelling drum instructor. <laughs> so what? what is y'all's favorite tune and or production piece? I guess those could be different things if you want. I think, I think it Mo is Moses and his toeses. I almost said that um, too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the dance is just phenomenal. And then I genuinely laughed at the end when they just sing, Hey! That yeah, was that was great. like the most postmodern thing in the film. So, it was like, yeah, that, yeah, that was like 2023 humor. <laughs> yeah, that and make them laugh were the only songs written for the movie, and make them laugh was <laughs> basically a ripoff of an Ir Irving Berlin song from about three years previous. Which he he was like he was on set, and they were like kind of like kind of like get him away from those papers so he doesn't see that we're ripping off his song. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That that's really that's really interesting because I I found that to be sort of the high point of Donald O'Connor who I just I just was thrilled at everything he did in this film I mean he just facial expressions those those bright blue eyes the uh, the way he was the way he was feigning boy boyish enthusiasm while he was being abused by the by the co-director <laughs> well yeah <laughs> now that i look at it from though from that, though he was being abused, make him laugh was added pretty late in the game because gene kelly was like this guy needs a solo number so <laughs> was make him laugh in ah. new framed roger rabbit or am i thinking of something that was similar to it you might be thinking of the irving berlin song i don't know um huh because <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at I the do feel like i heard it somewhere else so you might be right yeah because there's definitely a song where Eddie Valiant does a song about laughing or something. Oh, that one's all peppy, though, right? But I mean, more, is it make him laugh peppy? Is that not yeah, peppy enough? I, I, I feel like it was peppy and Roger Rabbit. You might be right. You might be ah. right. Uh, here, I, I, I'm the guy in the chair with the wiki, so I'll, I'll see if I can find that for you. 
But that meant someone else. Oh, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> was... Kill him, uh, killing weasels with laughter. laughter. <laughs> he kills um, all the weasels by making them laugh to death, and then their ghosts come out of them because Roger Rabbit is a nightmare, <laughs> nightmare shellscape. Uh, there is a lot. Yeah, it doesn't mention that um, some recent uses, plot line of Singing in the Rain is used in the feature film, Downtown Abbey, A New Era. They mention Babylon here. They mention La La Land. Um, yeah, but th- I don't see the Orville here, which obviously mentions it. So they're they're not listing every pop culture reference, obviously. You could never <laughs> mention every pop culture reference of one of the most famous films of all time. It's a pretty long list. <laughs> <laughs> it goes, yeah, it got it goes all the way up to Babylon. So, um, that reminds me that on the Transformers wiki, the page for pop culture references has a little bit at the top that's like. This list used to be comprehensive. Then the Michael Bay films come came out. Now we cannot be comprehensive. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like it's impossible to be comprehensive for Singing in the Rain. I mean, it's just, it's just one movie. It's not like a series of several comic books, animated shows, and movies, right? But it's in the, it's. Would you re- would you reference every time someone sings that song as a reference to this film? Okay, good point. And it came in before. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find how many times. This this movie was only mildly successful when it came out. The uh, big deal was Gene Kelly's previous film, um, An American in Paris, also directed by him and uh, Stanley Donnan, right? So I assume that means Stanley was uh, directing all the, the acting bits and Gene Kelly was, was on point for anything involving insane, intricate stuff. I mean, I mean, I'm sure choreographer is a very important position in this in this profession. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess it would be absolutely impossible to replace Gene Kelly in this film. I mean, one because it's kind of his baby. But I was I was thinking of like what kind of flavor you get from like alternate teams of people. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he Kelly did teach Sinatra to dance for Anchors Away. So, what if we had like, you know. Sinatra and and Sammy Davis as the leads like that that would be fun or um what are some other pairings that because you're talking about the Marx Brothers film so I'm like thinking about how many mm-hmm. other kind of comedic style duos would fit if they could dance which they could not dance like Gene Kelly but <laughs> Matthew I don't know these people I'm young oh yeah I'm talking about <laughs> dead people. I know Frank yeah, Sinatra no. come on yeah, so I know, you know his Gene, name Gene Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Gene Kelly for a second. I mean, his his last film role was was Xanadu with Olivia Newton John, and he was that was that came out in the late seventies. So he was, you know, pushing seventy himself. Um, still, so unbelievably light on his feet. Um, it's a flawed film. It needs a few more rounds of editing. It could probably use some sort of common thread going through the whole thing. Uh, I happen to just love it though, and it is so much fun. And to see, to see Gene Kelly at that age, just, just still, still getting it done is was amazing. So uh, I think, I think, I'm not really sure why I brought that up, other than you mentioned just how uh, how talented you know he appeared in the film. But I mean, that carried on through through for decades. Xanadu's been on my need to watch list for a long time, partly because the theme song is incredible. But like, there keep being these local screenings of it, and they sell out before I get a ticket. 
Like it's really popular in Atlanta for whatever reason. I probably because it's good, but it's also just sort of like big. I think it's sort of got big drag queen energy, if I understand correctly. Yeah, the whole thing with the lights and things just hits you in the eyes so hard. You know, it's like the I want it. The, I, the hit pure, me in the eyes. The pure crystals of disco gouging yeah. your eyes. We love <laughs> we love disco. ATL loves disco. Okay, well now you I'm know why you can't make get that claim. The there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make that claim right now without any basis. Oh, I know what I want. Sorry, uh, Luke, you, you you'll catch this reference. I, I want the Muppet remake of this movie. Okay, I would definitely watch the Muppet remake. Yeah. So who would be the one human? Gene Kelly and all Muppets. The director. Oh, I would be Lena. Yeah, Dom, I was Dom also going to say Lena, but like, um, Miss Piggy exists. So, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that right. character is written for Miss Piggy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and um, hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe there would be a human. Uh, Debbie Reynolds would be the human overdubbing Miss Piggy, and then Miss Piggy like destroys her. Yeah, especially when Miss Piggy freaks out when she walks in on Kermit, making out. Well, there was that one Muppet show where uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy had split up and Kermit was briefly dating a, a different pig. So I guess that could be the, the Debbie Reynolds role. I, I didn't make it very far into that. Okay. I'm, I don't know either. I'm just saying it existed mm. and it's, it's canon. Yeah. So we can fit Muppets canon with singing in the rain <laughs> canon if we want to. I, <laughs> I, wa- I wanted that to work. It just... Uh, someone's you can probably take mad the nerd out of the sci-fi. You can't take the sci-fi out of the nerd. <laughs> I just watched uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion right when I found out yeah. it existed because I didn't know that, and and that that was that was fantastic. That was fun. Yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> um, but yes, I I would be Disney Plus should step on Muppets singing in the rain. That's just seems like yeah, because the thing with the Muppets is they are like supposed to be like an acting troupe that you can just stick anywhere, right? That's why yeah. I giggled when I said Muppets Canon, right? Because that's a stupid idea. Why would you have Muppets Canon? <laughs> so, like, out of the other movies that we've watched for this podcast so far, what what pick one for Muppets? Pick another human centipede. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I'm like almost everything we've watched for this has been terminally dark. So I'm just like any of the answers have been good. Muppets. Thank you. Yeah, Muppets. <laughs> Kermit is just Kermit. Sit- I can really picture Kermit sitting on the swing at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That works. Uh, so yeah, singing the rain a much frothier one for for the Muppets to join in. I mean, kind of the end of the Muppet movie is basically getting into you know singing the rain sequences. Um, out of everything we watched, this is the one I can't wait to watch again. For partly for the, all those reasons, even though I know I'm like the Doom guy and I like Doom, but I already watched North by Northwest again. That's but that's because my daughter is willing to watch it. So I'd I'd, I'd watch that again. Yeah, it, it, but, you know, you mentioned who would be the one human if in the the Muppet the Muppet cast, and it just it reminded me because I think the obvious choice in my mind would be you know RF the the studio executive. And by the way, I loved, loved, loved at the end of the movie that he walks right over to the rope with Cosmo <laughs> and Don and open up the curtain on Lena. And I thought that was phenomenal. That was, yeah, that was great. And that's something we can all relate to because most of us have been alive for like Ashley Simpson or Millie Vanilli or something, something like that. We've all seen something where it's like, uh oh, someone's <laughs> not really singing. Did Lena yeah. really deserve that though? Yeah, she was well, like we were talking about, 
We were talking about how great an actress she is, right? Uh, you, are you bringing... It is a good performance because we all feel like, oh, yeah, she's the villain. She got her comeuppance. <laughs> her only crime was she's not good at singing and dancing. I know. Well, she, <laughs> she was like, I'm not, you're going to... She was like, I got a lawyer and you're well, going to not give credit to the woman yeah. who's actually singing and she, you're going to... She force... was like, I have contractual obligations. I'm going to make you stick to them. <laughs> <laughs> well... I stand a powerful queen, all right? Mm-hmm. All right, that's fair. I I could see my, I feel like if I was in this world, that would be the person who I'd probably date. So, I yeah, mean, I get it. Because look at these guys. <laughs> what do they do? They break Kathy's heart first, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, I mean, they turn the tables by, like, completely shafting another woman's career. Yeah. How hard <laughs> would it have been for them to just let Kathy in on their plan that they've somehow all discovered without saying out loud so yeah so just give was, her a little that was the wait. big twist right like like <laughs> yeah like gene kelly grabs her he's like you gotta do it you gotta do it and i'm thinking like wow this is really heavy-handed and sort of atypical of like what you would do at a budding romance um and he kind of goes up to did everything short of Given Donald O'Connor the wink when when she went out on stage, but kind of got right up next to him and his facial expression changed. But uh, man, I was thinking this is this is not this is not going to go well. It's every one of these older movies. I mean, I would say it doesn't age well, but they're all uniformly in such a huge hurry to get the two leads into being in love with each other, which is. Um, probably set a bad example for generations of of young people but that's just i'm sure it didn't have any impact on society yeah no, nobody's like nobody's no one Google divorce rates <laughs> nobody's in years. you know a, a couple of a couple of lena lines that i that i really liked was i gave one i gave an exclusive story to every newspaper in town I liked, uh, <laughs> I liked that. <laughs> yeah. What did she say? I'm like, I'm, oh God, I, I wrote this down. Uh, I make more money than Calvin Coolidge put together. That is fucking brilliant. I yeah. can't <laughs> <laughs> And all my, all my efforts ain't been in vain for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked all that. Um, what what's the real life version of that that ending bit though? Is it the the Millie Vanilli press conference maybe where they had to sing for real? Oh, Matt, um, it's a shame you're not a gamer because E three used to have one of these every year. Yeah, <laughs> okay. like, yeah, um, pre rendered footage. Yeah, or just like Morgan um, Miyamoto coming out on stage to show off Breath of the Wild. For, oh, not Breath of the Wild, t- Skyward Sword for the first time, and just the remotes not syncing. Like, oh, you, just, you just have to believe me it has one-to-one sword controls it's not working right now or the or the ultimate where it's a diablo immortal and and they're like you guys don't have phones <laughs> i was just you, uh, you ever wondered what the bottom of an avatar's foot like looks like <laughs> Boom, there it is what was the peter molyneux one where it was like you can have this boy will follow milo will follow you and do things and that like never even came out uh, everything I mean, PMO said I mean, didn't come out. <laughs> yeah, he's a whole category. Like there have been mm-hmm. games, you know, there are games that I've played that are based on a Twitter account that was a parody of things that he would say. Like, oh yeah, yeah, account. I know, I know, I know the guy who had that Twitter account. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, Donut <laughs> County was based on that, like a tweet that was like, "What if you had a hole 
controlled a hole that just ate things. <laughs> and isn't that a mouth? Um, <laughs> well, it eats a lot of things. You have to okay. play it to understand. I, I okay. do recommend you should play it, Matt. You'd enjoy it. Okay. What 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 is the the real life uh, unintentional celebrity embarrassment moment? Is it the Fabio Goose incident? Do y'all know that one? I know yeah, that, that one is pretty glorious. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is somewhat intentional, though. That's the problem. Yeah, it's like it's just, <laughs> I can't I can't think of a deliberate like someone. Oh, okay. okay. Kanye interrupting Taylor. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> I was going to say Jason Sudeikis having divorce papers served to Olivia Wilde while she is promoting her new movie, but the Kanye one is like. Kanye one wasn't just a classic, but it was also just a a early red flag of his behavior <laughs> that most of us completely ignored and laughed about. Four tenths of things to come, yes. Yo, Lena, I'm going to let you finish, but Carrie is the greatest of all time. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> By the way, I'll be a Nazi in ten years. Yeah. So, but he did, Again, please don't isolate that time audio. when we didn't know about Nazis. <laughs> he, he, did, he did that to himself, right? So... Um. <laughs> and he's gonna keep doing it to himself, right? And people still Taylor, buy his shoes. Taylor is fine. She keeps the side of her street clean. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's why I just like you know. Again, Lena doesn't really deserve this. Her biggest crime is being an annoying starlet, right? Which is probably mm -hmm. most starlets in the twenties or thirties or forties or fifties. Well, just I mean, <laughs> if this podcast suddenly required me to. uh swim or something i can't swim so if you're like look this is gonna be a swimming podcast and then you had to overdub my swimming with somebody who could swim i'd be pissed when we unveiled the uh the ruse yes mm. i guess we'd use rear projection for that yeah. and, and that's, that's a really good point <laughs> i i i yeah. it sound, it's, it sounds easier. terrible but <laughs> it sounds terrible but i was having a hard time thinking of things i can't do <laughs> It, it, it's a good point to bring up, though, that, you know, I mean, Lena was she was lied to, you know, I mean, I, she was a kind of an overbearing presence. I, I don't think she would have taken uh, taken the news that she would be, you know, dubbed and and uh, ADR very well. So that I think they probably felt like they had to lie to her. But for her to find out, you know, when she found out how she found out and by whom she was, you know, being. uh uh, dubbed, you know the 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 one that she was, you know, very jealous of uh, already. I think there's, I think there's some stuff for a uh, a shimmering, glowing star in the cinnamon firmament that she that she had to deal with, and uh, you know, so I couldn't, can't really, exp uh, can't really blame her for you know overreacting and and pulling the contract out. Yeah, like being a bit annoying does not make you the villain of the piece. <laughs> I think maybe maybe Gene <laughs> Kelly would think that that that's completely justified. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe behind the scenes, that's the the, the real villain of the piece. Um, two and there's the layers here, right? I got two more points I wanna I wanna bring up that are both directed towards some of you, uh, Mark. You sent. I got two points directed for you, Matt. <laughs> I thought you were actually going to. I thought you were going to use your nipples, so that was really classy <laughs> compared to what I was thinking. Um. Uh, anyway, where was? Oh uh, yeah, Mark, you sent us. You said this was a highly deconstructed film. 
And you yeah, said I found this... a few different deconstructions, like the scenes in order from shortest scene to longest scene. Uh, there was the palindrome version where it plays backwards and forwards at the same time. And I watched some of that, and it was honestly pretty uh, entrancing. I watched well, it has more of that, that singing in the rain or the B movie. Oh, I mean B movie, but you know that's that's like that almost came about at the perfect time when people were starting to do that. I've actually yeah. watched the one that like speeds up every time that someone says B. Yeah, same. Well, yeah, it doesn't it's take like, that long because they say it's B like five long. minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, I, I agree. The palindrome version was entrancing, which is why I um, was bringing it up. Although I was watching it while, while walking down a country lane, staring at my phone, so I probably didn't do it the right way. But <laughs> or maybe I did. Google Glass to have it displayed in front of your face while you walk into a train. Yes, into a train. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't obscure your vision. It layers it. Mm. Um, if it works, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Other other points people have before I start asking questions or rinding things down. No, I, I went into this film really with no expectations other than it's a musical. Um, I I didn't really know it was what time period it was set in. I didn't know how funny it was going to be. Um, pleasantly surprised. So I guess if someone's listening to this having not seen the film, um. I would say maybe it doesn't really match your assumptions and you probably should check it out. I could pretty much echo what you said. So I'm I was coming to it from the same part and uh, having having the same reaction. So um, is there same. anything anything filthy here? Gene Kelly on set might have been filthy, I guess. Yeah, I think Gene Kelly on set is... Uh, and, you know... Um, I mean, there's there's some treatment of women that maybe hasn't aged super well, but... Yeah, I think yeah. there was like some voodoo people in it or something, but you know, uh, overall, there was it. there was the uh, there was the 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 island natives or the the that scene, and you know, I think the director was saying you know more in rhythm or more coordinated or or something along those lines. I, I get really uncomfortable. It's just it's just ubiquitous though in films of this age when mm. you know a woman goes to leave the room and guy grabs them forcibly by the elbow and keeps some of them just like, you know, things like that. It just, you know, it just it is what it is. Um if somebody hasn't seen the movie, man, just for just for, you know, the 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 piece of cinematic history that it is, um, for when it was made in 52 as well as how it portrays 1927. It's, uh, you get a little double dose, double dose of cinema history. I haven't seen The Jazz Singer, but I bet this is probably easier to watch than that. I I have seen The Jazz Singer, and I've forgotten everything about it. So, you know, mm. I guess once you get past it, the fact that someone's singing on screen, it's not that memorable. And you forget other things. About I am it glad that to. they didn't rename... I'm thankful they didn't rename the movie within the movie the the dueling mammy like uh, was <laughs> yeah, briefly suggested, was. and that they went with the dancing cavalier. <laughs> yeah, that that was a good good choice there. Um, you definitely love the uh, the ADR whatever it is with the you know where everything on the set is making noise in the in the final cut. That's well, the yeah, that was so cut. funny, dude. Even though I did okay, there was so something good. I pointed out that I, that I pointed out in my notes that it's just a modern audience thing. But when it shows Kathy overdubbing the song, she actually turns and looks at Don while she's singing, which would have messed up the audio for that. <laughs> but that's just like, well, 
can't watch this can't watch anything these days without well they've literally i mean to be fair the film has just pointed out to you how microphones work and then disobeyed it (laughs) (laughs) i I I don't think that one's on you (laughs) also they had to fit debbie reynolds with mics a few times like under her blouse and then one of the dancing seats they they accidentally caught her heartbeat which is like beyond meta (laughs) holy crap (laughs) um but yeah i I understand how because i use this mic much has the same problem as the ones in the movie, right? <laughs> Mine too. I would love My to see. My microphone's good, but the the USB wire is really fucked, so I need to replace oh, that man. soon. <laughs> if if this was if Gene Kelly's behavior wasn't like terrible, I'd love to see someone make a movie about the making of this movie, just to like add another layer to it. You know, like there there are right? movies like that With where entirely it's like, different songs. Yeah, like the Dolomite movie, where it's like the 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 whole story of Dolomite being made, which is itself. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't watch that because I was like, why don't I just watch Dolomite? And then I watched Dolomite. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Watch Dolomite. It's better. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, that's it, what I did. It's, <laughs> it's, it's good. I mean, it's nice to see Eddie Murphy feeling confident again, but it's like a little bit um, squeaky, squeaky clean for my taste. I have a one star review. <laughs> Ready? I've got a one star review. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I hope it's the me. one. It's got to be the one that I'm looking at, and if not, I'll add this one. I, I bet we're all looking. I have a weird. There's only we're all six. Looking at stinky in the rain. Are we? Yeah, all of course. Oh no, no. I, okay, I'll do my one first thing because mine, mine's yeah. not really so funny. It's just like this guy hates it. Okay, okay. Go ahead. dull, unfunny, and overrated. Don't bother to try to change my opinion. I just don't like this movie. I didn't think it was funny or entertaining or anywhere near being worthy of all the accolades. Why do people mention this movie in the same breath as Hidden Fortress or City Lights? It's obscene and insulting. <laughs> this is no classic movie. This is just a stage musical in front of a camera. And why is that one dance number near the end so interminably long? Musicals and non-musicals should be kept separate from each other, <laughs> as documentaries are not put in the same category with textual or depicted non-fiction movies. If you want to like musicals, fine. But don't insist that I have to like them in order to appreciate film. One star. 21st of June, 2004. Hidden That's Fortress great. and City Lights are weird references. <laughs> yeah, not... seriously. Like, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. It's not it, wrong, right? but yeah. But yeah, that was, that was really great. I, I missed that one. Okay, here it is. Stinky in the Rain by Jacob John Taylor 1, <laughs> uh, July 12th, 2016. The music in this is awful. The storyline is awful. The singing is awful. The acting is awful. The music is just camp this sorry this movie is just campy and awful this is a very bad movie why did is get an 8.3 this is just overrated crap i give one out ten because it is a pile of poo poo some do a play we're singing and the lead part is woman i cannot sing so they get her lip sync to another woman who cannot sing she sings a little better but not mush there is a scene where a woman <laughs> Is wearing a dress that looked like toilet paper. That proves <laughs> this is a crappy movie. Do not see this movie. <laughs> do not waste your time and do not waste your money. This movie is awful. Nine out of forty-nine found this helpful. I guess waste is not a typo because it's in there twice. <laughs> it's totally a typo. I mean, it's either a typo or they just think that's how you spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing everything I could not to interrupt you by laughing so hard during that uh, during the reading of that review. That was that was classic. <laughs> that I, I should also note that of reviews of this film. 
I should also note that poo poo, because I was reading along, is spelled as in a poo bear, P O O H. I forgot to warn you all that I could have just gotten over a really bad cold. Laughing gives me a coughing fit right now. Oh, so that sorry. nearly just murdered me, Mark. <laughs> Luke was murdered yes, on the singing of the race. Yesterday at lunch, I had a really bad one because we were talking about Anne Rice for some reason. And I looked her up, Google. And I learned that her husband's name is Stan Rice. (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny to me. I thought you were going to say his name was Ben, like Uncle Ben. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Just Anne Rice and Stan Rice really tickled me. Well, they were meant for each other. It's it's very romantic. (laughs) Yeah, some rice goes together with other rice. Oh, boy. That, that, I mean, a lot of the kids me and Matt teach, if you asked them what they want, that would be what they'd say. Oh, you know, rice with some rice. <laughs> but the amount what? of kids who are like, oh, do you like the food at your school? Yeah, it's great. Oh, what's your favorite? The rice? Well, that doesn't really say that the other <laughs> food's very good, does it? If the best bit is the rice. Yeah, it's like, what'd you have Maybe. for dinner? Rice? Did you have anything with the rice? And then they stare blankly at you for 10 seconds. <laughs> I am when the pandemic started, I bought one of those like 50 pound, like not 50 pound, whatever, gigantic sacks of rice. Mm. And I think I ate all of it. Shout out to rice. This podcast is pro rice. I'm not weirdly living in Japan. I'm not that pro rice. It's like pouring sugar in my gas tank only with curry. I, I mean, I, I have rice with stuff, but I don't eat that much because I try and cut my carbs. Mm. That's actually if a really I'm gonna good have idea. A carb as a treat, then like. Rice. I probably should stop eating so much rice. It's so good. <laughs> so you agree uh, with the kids? Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite right. food? What's your favorite food? I mean, my favorite rice. food is katsu curry with rice. Ah, I do rice love curry. I probably go for curry Monday night. <laughs> yeah, it's like the the. I don't know. I it's just the perfect food, and I can't. It's hard to get it here. It costs like twenty dollars. <laughs> Tomorrow night, I'm going to a restaurant that currently has a Yu-Gi-Oh themed menu. So nice! I'm pretty excited so for like, that. Is it, order the Blue Eyes White Dragon? That is one of the desserts. <laughs> <laughs> the nice. best food, of course. Planet Hollywood proved that. Uh, yeah, we don't have one anymore. Yeah, the it closed. It closed and was replaced by Mark Wahlberg's Wahlburgers, and then that closed. That sounds like a joke from BoJack Horseman. it's a joke from reality i think there might be one planet hollywood left in malta if i'm correct what really (laughs) there was only one left vegas one isn't even open anymore uh i think they might have a casino but not a restaurant i'm not sure it's probably a case that um there are a lot of them still open internationally and it's just the american company went back like with toys r us toys r us is still here in japan Oh, cool. Uh, um, I, Trader I, Vic's, there's only like two left in the U.S. And most and of them one's are in an airport. Abroad. Yeah, it's we have one here in Atlanta in a hotel somehow. And there's <laughs> one in California. And I think one there's a third one in California that they want to reopen but haven't. And uh, I support and the reopening the rest of Trader Vic's. Like, honestly, Matt, if next time I go to Japan, I might just be like, can we go to the Trader Vic's in Tokyo? Yeah, sure. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, final thoughts on singing in the rain. If you got to say, oh yeah, 
just one I, uh, one more weird production thing before we, we finish up. The the main Singing in the Rain sequence was filmed not on a set, but on the black lot where they just put a bunch of black tarps over everything. Did the lighting. But it looks like a set, so it's kind of weird. And um, they had to do it the first time they failed because they tried to do it in the afternoon. Everyone in L.A. was watering their lawns and they didn't have enough water pressure. So they had to do it the next morning. <laughs> that's <laughs> like great. We, like we have to do it earlier. So, OK, that, that's my last thought. Uh, any other last thoughts on Singing in the Rain? I mean, this song's going to be in my head all week. So thanks for that. But to be fair, it has gotten the song that was previously in my head out. Mm. Which oh, we're Do we're any of talk... you guys currently have a person in your life who sends you TikToks of cats? Yes. No. You Shout out to Kitty if you're listening. Her name's Kitty and she sends me TikToks of cats. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so do you know the, the song, The P for Papas? It's a Papa's party. I don't know that one. There's a lot of videos of people holding their cat's arms and making them dance to this stupid little song. Because <laughs> my girlfriend sent me a couple of them. That song was in my head all day yesterday. The song I keep hearing is the one that keeps being on the CGI video that's like do 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 oh yeah 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 always like a weird like dog that's like vibrating or something and flying around that's the one that's always I always associate with this this and that but what's stuck in my head's too pretentious so maybe I'll just skip it. Is it is it like Mahler's fifth symphony or something? New World Rachmaninoff, yes, yeah, second because okay. you know, I just played um, a concert of it, it's still stuck in my head. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> but were we going to talk about that Orville episode? Oh yeah, Mike, you want to have a thought or two about the happy refrain? Oh, yeah, you know, in that, your bag. Uh, start starting uh, back with your your back lot uh, mentioned before. Um, I noticed in the background uh, there was the uh, what the Hollywood um, Mount Hollywood Art School. And I thought, oh, that's not, I wonder if that's a real place. It is not a real place, uh, but it did exist on the set, like through the, you know, tour of Hollywood, uh, Disney Hollywood Studios later on. So that that, that was neat. But, um, you know, this movie was motivation, maybe inspiration. Uh, Seth MacFarlane said he wanted to do an episode of The Orville that was like a big time Hollywood musical. Uh, it was centered around uh, a budding romance between Isaac, uh, the Kalon artificial uh, life form and Dr. Claire Finn, the chief medical officer on the, the Orville. And it was, you know, uh, get the girl, lose the girl, get the girl back kind of situation, all ending in a grand gesture, um, where, uh, romance is secured and they get back together in a very over the top scene of, a torrential downpour on the bridge of the ship as Isaac Another professes his love to Claire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like do it. Another and pretty rude move. I, I love the fact that they really are just the whole time they're just like, well, you know, he like doesn't he doesn't know how to love, right? You good with that? Okay, cool. And it's uh I I don't know. I love like realistic depiction of AI in general, or or as realistic as we know how to do. But mm. it was it was cool to see like the full orchestra in that because I know Seth MacFarlane like hired the the guy from Star Trek TNG right like didn't he basically like have that guy do all of his uh, stuff? so so there's four guys that do that that do music on the show uh, Marvin Rush was the director of uh, uh, 
photography um, for the show. So I think a lot of the shots for the first two seasons did, did come from him. Um, that did not carry into the next one. Um, the music in the show, there's, there's, they've got a stable of four composers, uh, Joel McNeely, Andrew Cotty, um, John Debney, and uh, Kevin Koska is the name of the fourth. So, and they, their music goes uh, very consistently from show to show. Uh, I think you can, you can pick up a little bit of, you know, who's writing or who composed the music for each show, just based on very slight stylistic differences, um, as long as it, it fits into the into the episode but when we uh had seth mcfarlane on mission log the orville um i was like hey man you've got an emmy you've got a grammy you hosted the oscars are we going to see a tony in your future and he said man i had to have three drinks just to get on stage to do the oscars i can't imagine doing broadway eight shows a week he goes but what i would like to do is a is a big hollywood musical sometime so maybe that's a project coming down the road that we'll see it someday if we ever get past uh you know the current current big doings with the WGA and and um, the screen uh, SAG after, so uh, yeah, just just a, just a big time fun kind of kind of romping. You know, like Star Trek, which is originally an anthology series, uh, it's can do a lot of different kinds of things in the format. Uh, I think the Orville showed that it can do a lot of different things, including a, a big big time musical. So it was it was fun bit of that simpsons I, energy too where you're like oh that's in this episode too because i had forgotten that was the one with the uh whole bordis growing a mustache ordeal which i, I quite love <laughs> that was great like I, I i've said it a bunch of times on all these podcasts that i haven't that i've like backlogged on star trek in general and haven't really watched the orville until recently and uh i absolutely love this episode um i gotta just go back and watch all of it which i guess there's only three seasons, right? So far. So, so far. So far. Catching up. Gonna catch up. Yeah, three seasons total three seasons total of uh thirty-six episodes. Uh and the third season is streaming on there the all seasons are streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus. Uh but since the third season was created for streaming, the episodes range from an hour and five to about an hour and twenty-five as long as an hour and twenty-seven or so. Uh so quite a bit of content in 10 episodes of the third season oh yeah it is on disney plus i can watch it <laughs> there yeah, we I go the Hulus. well I, I guess we should just segue that into uh you telling us about about the mission log orville podcast a bit <laughs> okay yeah so we're doing uh we did a deep dive into each and every episode of of seth mcfarland's the Orville, uh, looking for meanings, morals, messages, and to see how well the show aligns with kind of what it was trying to do, which is to be an homage to Star Trek. Uh, the original thought was, you know, uh, Mission Log on the Roddenberry Podcast Network is looking at each and every episode of Star Trek uh, from the original series all the way up through, they're about halfway through Voyager right now, about halfway through season three. And the thought was, let's see if there's anything else out there with the same kind of DNA and Seth MacFarlane is a huge Star Trek fan brought guys like we mentioned Marvin Rush Mike and Denise Akuda Brandon Braga Andre Bormanis Joe Minoski brought all these folks from the next gen era over to the Orville to work on that show and we just wanted to see if really for the sake of you know Rod Roddenberry um, CEO of Roddenberry Entertainment to see if any of his dad's 
kind of vision made it out of the Star Trek universe and into other things. And there's there's other shows too where folks from Star Trek alumni have gone on to work on other things. Um, you know, The Expanse, not very Star Trek-like, but interesting show. Uh, Ronald D. Moore going on to work on bat- the reimagined Battlestar Galactica as well as uh, For All Mankind. And, you know, those kind of things. Um, Sean Piller and Michael Piller went on to do The Dead Zone uh, with Anthony Michael Hall, the Stephen, based on the Stephen King novel. You can see a lot of Star Trek-y, next-gen kind of stuff in that short series, which, which I enjoyed very much. So that, that's, that was kind of the idea, to see, to see use that mission log format to go out and look at other series with Star Trek ties to it. And we're covering the overlord now, and we'll probably cover some other shows in the future as well. All right. As for this one, it's Films and Filth. It's Films and Filth on Twitter. I promise it's there now. Uh, Luke Luke finally noticed he was being followed. Uh, <laughs> you can support this podcast and others on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius. We talk about the Twilight Zone, uh, Time Enough podcast. Uh, kind of taking the idea, Mike, you were just mentioning going backwards with it to the uh, Rod Serling stuff, right? Uh, Occult Disney, we look at the weirder parts of Disney films. And I'll toss the ball to Luke to go go gamer on you. Yep, you can listen to the Game Game Show. It's a game show about games. There's Luke Loves Pokemon, where we take a deep dive into a different Pokemon family every week. And just started, there's Hyrule Field Report, which is taking a step-by-step journey through the new game, Tears of the Kingdom. All right. Could I go sing in the rain now, or did it stop raining? Let's see. I heard it's going to rain today, but I didn't notice any yet. No, it's just really... I I can only sing in the drizzle. I got drizzle to go sing in, so I guess I'll do that. I can go sing in the shower. But it is morning. Yes, Mm, it is. It is is morning, so you can sing that. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I can do that. I'm going to have my umbrella with me, so you know we'll see what happens. All right, I'm going to go through a cake and an actress. I'm going to go speak to a man about a dog. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go... Dub my wife's voice into something else that's more tolerable. I'm just kidding. She's got a lovely voice. Direction. 
Oh, that's pretty good to say.